It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. A little peek into the behind the scenes flow of our podcast. Sometimes I will get questions from friends and colleagues of how we select the topics that we discuss in depth here, whether it's the solo episodes like this one with Whitney and myself, or the guests that we bring on on our Friday episodes. And a big part of this is Whitney and I are voracious researchers in looking at articles and studies and seeing what's going on in terms of food, wellness, social justice, mental health, emotional wellness. We cover a broad, broad range of topics. If it's your first time here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, welcome. We are very diverse in terms of our topical matter. And if you're a longtime listener, you know that we cover a lot of ground here. And one of the things that we like to do in addition to, I suppose, spelunking the books and the articles and the documentaries that we use for discussion topics here is we have two programs. One is called Wellness Warrior Training. The other is called The Consistency Code. These are our two flagship programs from our brand, Wellevator. If you haven't examined these two programs, they're absolutely delightful. We've had the blessing of having hundreds of people enroll in these. And what we do in these programs is we have assessments. So we get direct feedback from students and colleagues who enroll in these programs. If you want to check them out, by the way, and also dive into the show notes for this episode, any resources we mention are at our website, which is wellevator.com. That's spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And we had some fresh new assessments that came through from Wellness Warrior Training. And we ask a lot of pretty interesting questions to get people motivated to tell us about their hopes, their dreams, their struggles, their visions. And sometimes people will be pretty deep and raw and vulnerable with their shares. So this morning, I was reviewing some of the new ones. And when you start to review dozens and dozens of these assessments, you start to see themes. You start to see consistent things that pop up in people from different backgrounds, different races, different genders. It's it's interesting to see a lens through human psychology of what's going on inside of people. And one of the biggest things that I noticed this morning was how many people in the program are struggling with some form of food addiction. They seem to be struggling with some form of either overeating what they classify as junk food. Sugar addiction comes up a lot and overeating comes up a lot. Overeating to manage emotions is sort of paraphrasing what I see come up pretty consistently in these in these assessments. And I wonder, Whitney, to piggyback also on a really wonderful clubhouse room that you invited me into yesterday, where we were talking about the nature of food addiction and emotional compensation through food. I wonder, first of all, how being inside for almost the last year during a global pandemic has affected people's emotional relationship to food. But one of my favorite things that you and I dove into during the clubhouse session yesterday was some more of the, I suppose, deeper traumas and triggers that go into people having these issues with food. And I just think it's fascinating, not only in the clubhouse room, but then seeing these assessments reflect what we talked about, the vast number of people that have some issue around feeling shame, guilt, or negativity around their relationship with food. 
And for us, you know, you and I certainly have talked about a lot of our traumas and struggles. And I think that this is something in terms of the psychology of eating and why people eat what they eat. It's really a fascinating subject. So I suppose I want to kick it off, Whitney, into reflecting on what were your thoughts and feelings leaving that clubhouse room yesterday? And how do you feel like on a macro level, we can start to address this and support people in their struggles? Because it's obviously a, a more common thing than we might think it is. And I don't know, it, it just fascinates me that as I opened up yesterday in the room, it's almost like when one person opens up and shares their pain, their struggles, and their trauma, it, for lack of a better phrase, gives other people permission to do the same. And you realize how many people are wrestling with this. Yeah, it's interesting having done that room, just reflecting on things like the impact of the food industry on our cravings and how our the guest that I had in the clubhouse room, her name is Lydia, which I will link to in the show notes at wellevator.com because she is an incredible resource. There was also a woman that came into our room named Kim. I will link to both of them because they had a lot of knowledge. Lydia is a life and weight coach and Kim is, I believe, an emotional eating coach. And just having the knowledge and support of women like that was really huge. We also had a Japanese woman came in who makes incredible gluten-free vegan Japanese treats that I've really been wanting to try. Her name is Alyssa. I will link to her company as well. I think it might be based in LA. She makes these, I think they might be gummies that are shaped to look like crystals. And they fill my heart with joy just looking at them. And what was interesting when Alyssa came into the room is she was talking about Japanese culture and how the Japanese eat. And Lydia started talking about how I think she lived in France at one point and how different it was to eat there. How people don't eat standing up, for example, which was like, whoa, I didn't think about that in terms of my relationship with food. And I think it's fascinating to reflect on how our food is made the ingredients that are in our food and how those are impacting our cravings and our relationship to food and our things like binge eating. I mean, it's a really complicated subject matter. And that was my big takeaway from it. And Jason, do you recall what Lydia's final recommendation was at the end of the room? To be transparent, it's distracting for me when I'm doing rooms because I'm a moderator and I'm often thinking about like all the structure and not 100% paying attention on Clubhouse all the time. So I'm curious if you remembered what she said. The big final takeaway was to be kinder to yourself. That was the big one. And I think that's such, it seems like such a simple, almost remedial suggestion, I think in some ways, like, oh, be kind to yourself. But this is such a delicate, painful topic and a complicated one to your point, Whitney, that you and I are really passionate about talking about shame and guilt and the social dynamics of these kind of things. And I think that that was very poignant for her to say that, is to be really kind, because this isn't something that gets solved overnight, like a lot of complex psychological and biological issues. Because when we talk about the nature of, of food addiction, we're up against a lot of, I think, a lot of forces here. We talk about what's in the food supply and a lot of food manufacturers putting addictive ingredients into their products. I mean, it really, really is a thing if we look at something like sugar and how addictive sugar is and how it lights up the pleasure centers in our brain in a very specific way. Or if we look at nicotine or we look at caffeine or we look at some of the artificial food additives or we look at dairy, which has a very powerful compound called casomorphines, which lights up the same centers in your brain as if you were having an opiate like heroin. 
So if we, if we dig into the chemical compounds of what goes into a lot of our food supply, to your point, Whitney, the food manufacturers are very, very aware of what they're putting in and why they're putting it in. Of course they are. They're in business to make profit and be profitable. And it reminds me of some of the marketing too. I think it was Pringles back in the day had the, their catchphrase was once you pop, you can't stop. Like once you pop open the can of Pringles, you can't stop. Well, of course you can't stop because there's a ton of fat. There's a ton of sugar. There's a ton of oil. There's maltodextrin. There's flavor additives. There's things that are intentionally put in there so you can't... St- and they're actually saying it. They're actually saying like, once you open this can of food, you're not going to be able to stop yourself. They're telling you up front, you know? And so I think that's fascinating, but we're up against that. We're up against chemically addictive ingredients that are put in the food supply. We're up against, for some people, deep traumas from their childhood around safety and control and protection that you know I talked about in, in the clubhouse that you said you had never heard me say, but... You know, a lot of the the lack of safety or the abandonment I felt in my childhood, I relied a lot on sugar and candy and and junk foods to feel like I was in control because I felt like my home life was out of control. You know, the period of time when my mom and dad were kind of dissolving their relationship and my father was addicted to drugs and drinking a lot of alcohol and there was a lot of emotional and physical violence in the house for a period of time. For me, food was the one thing that A, felt very comforting and familiar, and B, that I had some modicum of control as a small child over. So it's it's the chemicals in the food. It's whatever lingering trauma or safety or protection we feel or comfort we feel from childhood. And then I think the third thing is the societal pressure of body image and looking a certain way. And then attaching our self-worth, our desirability, and our sexual appeal to what kind of food we eat. And then I think the fourth thing too, Whitney, is like, I think there's a big thing that I've noticed over the years in the wellness industry and the food industry of one's level of virtuousness being tied to how you eat. If I'm eating fully organic and I'm eating raw and I'm eating superfoods and I'm spending all this money or I'm keto or I'm paleo or I'm this... There's almost this game of one-upsmanship of who's eating more clean, who's eating higher vibe ingredients. Like I see a lot of competition of like, I don't even know how to describe this. Maybe you can help me, but like, I don't know, eating tied to virtue is what I'm trying to say. Have you noticed that too, that, that people sort of have this sense of self based on what their diet is or how elevated their style of eating is or how quote conscious it is? Absolutely. Didn't we address this in another episode? I'm pretty sure that we did. I don't know. I feel like since we're closing in on 200 episodes, I forget what we've talked about because we've literally spent thousands of hours talking on this podcast now. <laughs> I forget. I Maybe your memory might be better than mine. Has it been a thousand? Is 200 times two hours a thousand over a thousand hours? Or is that exactly a thousand? Wait a second. 200 episodes 200. times two hours. Why can't I do the math? That's 400 hours, right? There's me exaggerating again. Okay. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> We're not quite thousands then. You can tell math was not my forte. Well, clearly it's not my forte either because I didn't do the math quickly enough. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think that the breakdown of this, what I'm saying is it's, it is a very complicated issue. And to get to the heart of it, for each individual person, I think is really critical though, because what we're talking about right now is, is I think through food and through eating, creating a much more intimate, self-aware, loving, 
and Lydia's point, a kinder relationship to ourselves. But this isn't easy because of all the dimensions and layers to it. And, you know, my trigger around food, Whitney, might be different than your trigger. You know, we've talked a lot about our individual struggles here. And, you know, I'm curious if you've reflected on what we discussed yesterday and if there are any maybe deeper layers that came up for you around your relationship with food and either stuff around control or childhood or what. If you want to talk about it, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I feel like it's an opportunity for us to like really bring to the forefront, you know, our individual struggles around this. Well, it's no secret that I've struggled with eating and and had a past with disordered eating. And in some ways, I still do. I don't exhibit the behavior of binging and purging that I, I did when I was a teenager. Thanks to going to therapy, which really helped a lot, I actually found the roots were that were often related to my relationship with my mother. And I remember whenever I well, not maybe whenever. There was kind of two things that would trigger my purging because I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I binged. I was much more of a purger, but usually binging and purging go hand in hand. So I think the way that I was eating was was kind of normal for a teenage girl. I enjoyed trying different types of food and I still do to this day. You know, like I liked the snack foods. I love snack foods still. I love sweets. I love, you know, I I love the experience of just trying something new. And I think that going vegan, which I actually did a few years after I started therapy around my disordered eating, going vegan can be perceived as restriction. But for me, it gave me some more guidelines so that I could still like get very excited about eating food, but wasn't eating foods that I perceived as being not so great for my body. You know, and I still try to check in with myself frequently to make sure that's not coming from a diseating, disordered eating standpoint. It's tricky. There's only so much self-examination that you can do because we have so many biases. But I think that when I started to learn about how plant-based food benefited not only my body, but the planet and animals, it was like, okay, this feels like a, a good decision to make. And then I would really indulge in a lot of vegan processed food. And then I I didn't feel great about how my body felt and all of that. And I started to learn more about organic. I started to learn about unprocessed foods. I, I started to learn about all these different ways of eating within veganism and exploring them to see how I felt my best. But no matter what, the thread through, no matter what diet I've had within veganism, like keto, for example, is or paleo, like I kind of alternate between the two of those, but still stay plant-based. And even within those ways of eating, there's still a lot of adventures to take. You know, I get very excited about new vegan keto products or new grain-free or paleo products. Like I have to give a shout out on the subject matter, Jason, to this brand called Catalina Crunch. Do you know about them? No, but it sounds like some kind of salad dressing company from the 1980s. Let me just double check that that's actually what they're called because you're right. Like it is such a old school name. Yeah, it's called Catalina Crunch. It's actually really fascinating. For So let me just talk about them for a moment. And, and the tie-in here is thinking back to my history with eating food. And to f- summarize that before I talk about Catalina Crunch, I don't think I have ever really been much, much of a binger. I think I've, I've had times where I've maybe em- used food to emotionally cope or like got really excited and ate a ton of food and then regretted it. I think my purging was the main issue. And I did a lot of that because I felt unhappy about my food choices. And I was trying to like 
make up for them. Like, oh shit, I just ate all this food and I'm going to gain weight. So I better purge it. I better get it out of my system. And I would regret it. That was one reason. And then the other reason is sometimes I would do that in moments where I felt really emotionally charged as a coping mechanism because it was like a sense of control that I didn't feel like I had. Or I was doing it because something somebody said triggered me to feel bad about my body. And the the fastest way for me to feel better about my body was to purge because I thought maybe if I just take out the food that's in there, then I will finally achieve the body goals that I have or the live up to the expectations that my mother has of my body or other people have of my body, right? So that was really the roots and the mentality that I consciously have around that food. And I'm glad that I don't have negative associations with like, what I might perceive as binge eating or restriction, you know, because I love food, you know, and I want to talk about Catalina Crunch because it's exciting to me. It's exciting that I can enjoy something that also falls under plant-based and keto and paleo. It's like, okay, cool. Like there are actually amazing brands out there that are making it easier to eat food without certain ingredients. So you can still enjoy it. It's not like the old days where like, if you were vegan, you were stuck with like a few boring options that tasted awful. Now we're very blessed to be able to eat foods within certain dietary choices that are exciting. So I will give a quick shout out to Catalina Crunch on this note. Oh my gosh. Just looking at their website gets me so excited because I forgot they have cookies that I haven't tried yet. And my friend Liz, who is an amazing vegan keto advocate, she just told me about these the other day. But what I'm, I like lost my mind over the other day, Jason, at Sprouts Market. Also, shout out to Sprouts. If you, the listener, have a Sprouts in your area, please go there. It is constantly impressing me. Do you go to Sprouts often, Jason? I don't because I don't have a Sprouts near my house. And as an aside, I'm doing a lot less driving and I find driving right now, I just want to do the least amount of driving as possible. So no. But let me say that you do drive to an area approximately once a week that has a Sprouts right up the street from it. So next time you're in that said area, you can easily go to Sprouts and I recommend it because they have a lot of really exciting foods there, including Catalina Crunch. And so here's the story. I'll put the website link in the show notes at wellevator.com. They make cereal that they're really known for. Apparently, they also have smoothies and cookies, which I have not tried, but they are keto-friendly, gluten and grain-free, made with plant protein, low in sugar, 100% vegan, and contain nothing artificial. And I lost my mind. I've known about their products for probably a year or two, but I lost my mind the other day at Sprouts because they have a new fruity version, and it is a vegan keto version of Fruit Loops. (laughs) Wait a second. A vegan keto Fruit Loops? Yep. Now they have a honey gram, which I think is also vegan. I don't know what the honey, it might be just a flavor. I haven't tried that one yet. Let's see if that, it says vegan. So it must just be some honey flavor, natural flavor. They use stevia. And the reason it's called Catalina Crunch is because it's made from, it's made from Catalina flour, which might be their version, their made up ingredient. It's a combination of pea protein, potato fiber, corn fiber, chicory root fiber, and guar gum. So yeah, it does have some, I'm not a huge fan of corn. I'm not a huge fan of gums, but this is like my occasional treat. And when I see some of their cool flavors, I often will buy them because they've got a chocolate peanut butter that's outstanding. 
The fruity I just tried, I really like. A dark chocolate, which is good. Can't remember if I tried the cinnamon toast. I think I did. A maple waffle, I'm pretty sure I tried. But then three flavors I haven't tried. Honey graham, chocolate banana, and mint chocolate chip cereal. Like, what the heck? Who comes up with this stuff? Oh my gosh. Just looking at it gets me so excited. I don't know anything about their smoothies. I don't, I, I have to look right now in real time, Jason, because this is, oh, you know what they look like? It's like a version of, there's the other big brand that makes smoothies in a cup. They're frozen. Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest. Yes. Daily Harvest. It looks like their version of that. And then lastly, they have cookies that Liz was telling me about. And oftentimes Liz and I agree on things because we're both really into the vegan keto diet. Oh my gosh. They have an Oreo. They have a, oh my God, they have a peanut butter cookie, a chocolate mint and a vanilla cream. They kind of look like a combination of Oreos and Girl Scout cookies, but that are vegan and keto. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. The whole reason I'm shouting them out is I love stuff like this. And so when I started to embrace my love for food and trying new things and my excitement, it felt so much better, Jason. I feel restricted these days when someone says, oh, that has guar gum in it. I'm not going to eat it. I respect that choice. I understand that reaction. But coming from a history of restricting myself and blaming myself and checking every ingredient and all of that stuff, it didn't feel good for my mental health. And I think that's a really important element of this, Jason, is the constant restriction and analyzation. Another great example is Jordan Younger from The Balanced Blonde. She also has a great podcast. And I was introduced to her years ago through our friend Max Goldberg when she came out with her book, which is called Remind me of the name, Jason? Breaking Vegan. Thank you. It was incredibly controversial and people got so pissed off because she wasn't vegan anymore and it sounded like she was anti-vegan. Max introduced us and I met Jordan in person and she is such a lovely, compassionate person and she was so misunderstood. If you take the time to read her book, it is a story of orthorexia. And she found that being vegan was a form of restricting her herself, restricting her diet, and obsessing over food and ingredients. And I personally think that is awful for our mental health. So I commend her for speaking out about it. And I also think it's so incredibly important for us to practice not being judgmental about what other people choose to eat because we don't know why they're making those choices. We don't know their history. And somebody can be incredibly aware. We're also friends with Vani the food babe. And Vani is a wealth of information. And she checks every single label. I actually think Vani has a very overall balanced perspective. She doesn't strike me as being orthorexic. But she's very critical of ingredients and for good reason. I have a friend who loves Vani's work and is constantly thinking about her food choices because of someone like Vani. But I think sometimes we can go to the extreme with that. And if that triggers you into disordered eating, it's probably not a good choice for you. So my personal opinion, where I stand right now, is I consider all these factors. I take in information from people I respect, like Vani, and then I make the best decision for myself and my mental well-being. And if I would like to eat something with guar gum in it that isn't organic, and I reflect on it, I have the awareness, I think about why it is, 
and I still want to have it, then I have it. And if I want to eat something with certain packaging or, you know, on and on the list of things that we can use as criteria about whether or not to eat foods and the judgments we make on ourselves and other people for their decisions, I'm not there for it. Like, I think we need to have a lot more acceptance over food choices, period, within ourselves and for other people. The thing that concerns me too, I, uh, since we're talking about friends and colleagues of ours who who are public figures talking about food and wellness, etc. One of the things that really concerns me on many, I don't even want to say both sides of the coin because there's so many dimensions to this conversation, is when authors, speakers, influencers, celebrities, etc. who are in this field build their brand and build their reputation or expertise through not exclusively, but as a part of their messaging, Whitney, slamming other people who think and eat and philosophize differently on the subject. And over the years, there's been people that, to one degree or another, I've considered friends, colleagues, or didn't know them personally, but I admired their work. And then when I started to see them get into a mode of, of slamming other people for how they ate and how they lived, it made me take a big step back from the work of a lot of people in our industry. And I see it still happening a lot with, again, so many sides of this. I see people who classify this, themselves as vegan doing it, judging, shaming, trying to take down other people who eat and live differently. I see it for people, especially in the biohacking sphere right now. There's a lot of leaders, influencers in the biohacking world that slam how other people eat. And it makes me wonder why people feel the need to either establish or maintain their sense of superiority over others by trashing how they eat. Because it happens a lot. It really does. And, and there's been people who, like you mentioned, Jordan, who were, I suppose, vegan or plant-based at one time who no longer are. And now either subtly or not so subtly shit talk it and vice versa. Vegans taking the piss out of keto people or paleo people. And I'm not about that stance and about that strategy to tear down other people to make yourself seem superior. And like you have, we've talked about this before, the truth with a capital T. Vegans are wrong. This is the way to eat. Paleo is wrong. This is the way to eat. There's so many permutations of this, but there's a lot of people doing it. And I feel like this is a subject that would be really interesting to talk about either in Clubhouse or on the podcast, like to have people talking about this. Why do some people feel the need to trash or slam other people's lifestyle to make it seem like they're superior or they have more knowledge or they have more wisdom? And there's some really prominent people doing this shit. There really is. I don't understand why, you know, people feel the need to do it. And some people have done it to my face at like the Longevity Now conference or when I've gone to the Bulletproof conference, people making like backhanded comments about how I eat and live. People have done it to my face. Not like you're an idiot because you're vegan, but the tonality of like saying things like, oh yeah, don't worry, Jason, it's vegan. Like that kind of tonality. And I'm like, well, you can go straight fuck yourself with a broom. I mean, like I've been doing this 23 years. I'm not dropping dead. I'm not some, like, you know, I'm clearly not some decrepit, unhealthy example of a vegan, but I've just noticed subtle ways. And again, not so subtle ways that people will shit talk each other. You know, I have no desire to shit talk keto people. I have no desire to shit talk paleo people. I have no desire for people that are friends or colleagues that are now eating the carnivore diet. That's the new thing. That's like that's like a big thing right now is people just eating tons and tons and tons of meat. And it's like, okay, but you know, why are you talking about you know, pissing on vegans, you know, okay, so now you're on the carnivore diet and everyone else is an idiot. Like, I just, like, let's honor the journey and let's honor the level of experimentation and not trash each other. I know that was kind of a rant, but I'm getting kind of over it, Whitney. I'm getting kind of over it on all sides. 
you know, and I would just like to have a healthier discourse. And I know you mentioned your exploration of maybe having people on here to get super uncomfortable. And I think it would be super fascinating to have someone on to talk about the carnivore diet. That could be an interesting guest. Like, let's bring someone on and be like, okay, let's hear why you think it's healthy and vital and and good for you to just, you know, eat a ton and ton of animal products. I actually don't know why. I would be curious to find out as long as that person isn't coming on here to slam us or, you know, be a dick about it. I don't even know what the carnivore diet is. Is it similar to paleo? Do you know anybody who's on it? Like, tell me more about this. I do. A significant number of the community that has migrated to Austin, Texas is now on the carnivore diet. And I know Joe Rogan is on it currently. He talks a lot about it. I've seen him talk about it in his podcast. And there's there's several other mutual acquaintances of ours that are on it. And it's been interesting to track their food history because they've gone from raw food to vegan to plant-based to superfood to carnivore and now feel the need to like shit talk things like kale. Like, oh, you shouldn't eat this because it's poison. And it's like, dude, for real? Like, yeah, organ meats are the way to go. And and posting things like what you think are superfoods. And they'll have images like blueberry and kale and coconut and goji berries under what you think is a superfood. And then next to it in the meme, they'll be like, what are actually superfoods? And they'll have pictures of steak and eggs and milk and organ meats. You know, great. You think like organ meats and steak are superfoods and now you're trashing kale and blueberries. But why do you feel they need to do this? You know, again, I don't need to name names. That's not how we do things here on the podcast. But there's just an increasing number of people that I see posts and it's like they're out to prove they're right. It's like, dude, I know your history. And five years ago, you thought you were, quote, right about this. And then five years before that, this was your holy Bible of eating. Like, get the fuck off your high horse and stop trying to, like, scream the truth from the mountaintops. Truth is an evolving perspective. That's all you need to say. You know, your personal truth is an evolving perspective, not like, this is the way. And then five years later, no, this is the way. And then 10 years later, but I was wrong. This is the way. It's like, they're all the way. And honor your journey, but honor your journey without shit talking where you came from. You know, I just don't, I don't get that mentality. So that's kind of the messages I see is, is people, you know, moving into the carnivore diet and then trashing how they used to eat or how other people are still eating. And it's like, there's room for all of it, dude. There's room for all of it. And but again, it's not just about the carnivores, Whitney. You know, it's my issue is not how people are choosing to live and eat. It's the perspective of I have the holy Bible of eating and living now, and it's written in stone, and all ye who don't eat or live this way are fools. It's like there's not one right way for everyone, okay? Can we just <laughs> And I think taking that pressure off, Whitney, where we talk about this idea of virtuousness. It's like, but this is a thing even with vegans, wit, is like I've had conversation where it's like, oh, no, I am I am a better person and I am more ethical because of the way I eat. That's a serious thing that people believe. I'm a better person than you because of the way I eat. That's a very real thing for a lot of people. It's like, what is that? How do we quantify a better person, a more ethical, a more compassionate, a more self-aware? You know, when someone says that, like, what do you mean I'm a better person because of X? But I see that attitude a lot. It very much is based in sort of a mentality of superiority. And I don't think I'm better or worse than anyone else because of the way I eat. Like, I want to say that. I don't think I'm a better person, a more ethical person, a more virtuous person because of how I eat. And I don't ever want to put that on anyone. I don't think it's fair and I don't think it's kind. It is interesting, this whole idea of what is right or wrong, good or bad. And I think as human beings, we look for that as a feeling of security. 
we want to convince ourselves and other people that we're doing the right things for our health and animals and the planet. I think it's all done with a desire to survive. I mean, food is crucial to survival. And many people are on an endless quest to find foods that will hopefully guarantee their longevity, you know? And I understand it fully. I ultimately, though, at this point in my life, am more about how can I feel my best from day to day, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And I would love to live a long life, but I've let go of this idea for the most part, as as far as I'm aware, I am no longer of this mentality of I'm going to eat my way to longevity. You know, I know that you wrote a whole book on that, Jason, and I respect it. And I, I believe that it's part of my mentality, but it's not like this big obsessive focus is my point, because I would love to live a long life. I would love to do my best to avoid cancer and other diseases like heart disease and you know all these things that have been linked to the foods that we eat. But I also want to be able to enjoy my life from day to day. I don't want to get back to this mentality of being terrified to eat certain foods and the impact that they have. I have found that it takes a while to shift too. I remember when I first tried the vegan keto diet, it felt so magical. I was at a point where I was very heavy weight-wise, and I wanted to find a way to lose weight. I wanted to find a way to feel better. And it worked really well for me. I wrote a cookbook about it. I stand behind a plant-based, low-carb diet, not as the answer, but as one option for people, short-term or long-term, whatever they choose. I've also found currently in my life, I have been going more and more towards keto, especially in 2021, because I felt like I got a little too into eating processed foods in 2020. And a big trigger for me is eating sugary foods. So that's why having things like Catalina Crunch are exciting, you know, having foods that allow me to have the experience of eating something sweet without the long-term effects of sugar on my body. And I've also found that carbohydrates in general, I'm not even that into, except for rice. Rice, I think, is a carb that I love, but and maybe sweet potatoes. Potatoes are nice in general, but it's like I'm more of a take or leave it person. Whereas I love greens, to your point, Jason. Like I love salads and I love just really rich foods that are are high in protein and high in fiber. And I love high fat foods. So that's why I made those choices. And then I recognized in 2021, being heavier than I was a few years ago, that it takes time for your body to change. And that's actually a really important thing to think about because A, one food is not going to determine your weight or your health. If you eat a donut like I did earlier today, because another shout out is to Sidecar Donuts that Jason and I have recently discovered in Los Angeles. They have an incredible gluten-free vegan diet. Last night, I thought, gosh, that chocolate donut sounds good. And today I thought that donut still sounds good. I'm going to go get one. And I did. And I don't regret it. It actually was very filling. I didn't even want to have lunch because that donut hit the spot. And now I'm going to, you know, maybe have a light meal or snack and then I'll have a nice nourishing dinner. Right. So it's like, okay, that was incredibly satisfying. I don't regret it. I do recognize that it contains sugar and is high in carbs in general, but it's not like I'm going to freak out and be like, oh my gosh, my diet's ruined. I'm going to gain all the weight back or I'm going to ruin my life and, and my longevity over that one donut. 
it's so not good for me mentally to think that way. Instead, I allow myself to eat those foods, which is also in in rhythm with intuitive eating. It's like you listen to your body and sometimes it's just nice to eat something that you're craving. It's Sometimes it's nice to eat comfort foods. Sometimes it's nice to just eat whatever the hell you want and then think about how that makes you feel. Then go back to foods that maybe make you feel like you're thriving a little bit. You know what I mean? I think lastly, I would say there are different levels of health. There are different levels of thriving. We focus so much on the physical side of it. We thrive is often associated with living a long life and being in great physical condition. But what about the mental and emotional side of it? We need to take those into account. They are equally, if not more important. Amen. I think it's very, very wise. And I think for each one of us, it it really is this deep individual journey that is beyond the physical. I agree with you, Whitney. It really goes deeper, as we mentioned during this episode, into perhaps going to some form of therapy and exploring our trauma around getting attention through food, feeling safe through food, feeling comfort, feeling significance, which we've talked about, feeling some sort of superiority or trying to get the proverbial gold medal for being the best eater in the world. I mean, there's so there's not a one-size-fits-all to this conversation. There's just not. There's not a system of you know, heal your food trauma or have a better relationship to food. You know, whenever I see sort of a group coaching program across the board, but generally speaking around trying to heal someone's psychology around this, I'm like, I don't think you can do a group program around this. I think this is such an individualized, intimate experience of trying to delve into a person's psyche and their physiology and their spirit around this, because it's going to be different there's going to be subtleties with every single person. So there's no possible way we can cover every dimension of this in one episode. But I, I do think it is, pun intended, food for thought for a deeper conversation. And whether that's joining us on a clubhouse room or if you want to shoot us a, an email or a DM, you know, Whitney and I always, we love those personal emails from you. We get personal emails almost on a weekly basis that are really deep and really open. And we had one come through the other day that really moved me. People like you, dear listener, sharing your story with us or or struggles you've been through or what you're overcoming right now. And we hope that these episodes serve as a jump off point for you to go deeper within yourself. They certainly do for us, where I feel constantly, whether it's Whitney and myself or reading your emails or the guests we have here, doing a deeper exploration into some of the ideologies or concepts or things that spark deeper explorations within us. So we always love to hear from you if, if this topic of, you know, food addiction and all of the traumas and ideas of superiority and social status and everything we've talked about in this episode, if it has sparked a conversation within your mind and your heart, share it with us. You can email us always. Our email address is hello at wellevator.com. That's also our website, again, which is W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. Everything that you share with us is always held in confidence, and we always respond to personal messages and it's one of the things that keeps us going. As we've mentioned, it's not always easy to bear our souls and to put in the hours of work doing this podcast, but ultimately getting those type of messages from you is the fuel that keeps us going when we know that we've struck a chord. So if you feel compelled, shoot us a message, shoot us a DM on Instagram, all the social media platforms, we are at Wellevator. And as Whitney mentioned, uh, we're on Clubhouse. We do a weekly room called Dolphin Tank, 
every Wednesday from four o'clock to six o'clock PM for people who work in the natural products industry. But I've also jumped into many rooms where Whitney is talking about mental health. And like we talked about emotional eating the other day. So if you want an invite, we can probably get you in. If you're not on Clubhouse yet, shoot us a, a an email and we will see what we can do to get you in. Because I think I have like six invites right now. I'm not sure how many you have, Whitney, but we've got invites. So if you want to jump on this platform, it's a beautiful way to connect with us beyond the podcast and for us to integrate you into the community there, which is a really, really wonderful way to make new connections because I think we're all craving new connections right now. So with that, we thank you for listening. We thank you for your support, your emails, your DMs, and we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable Soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. We love and appreciate you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.